welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I'm going to chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Miles Runham, former head of digital at BBC Academy and general manager at Ask.com in Europe. His digital credentials are formidable, and his commentary on digital in L&D is vital. This conversation is both enlightening and practical. I enjoyed it very much, and I know you will too. So let's get into it. Miles, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Um, I must credit you regularly, Miles, in my writing ever since you published your Digital or Hide blog post about your observations on the state of digital's misapplication, may I say, to L&D. Now, within that piece, you seem to be looking in on L&D and holding a mirror up to the profession's digital deficiencies from, say, a perspective of somebody who really knows the potential of digital yourself. Does that description fit with you at all? Yeah, I guess, I suppose I'd like to think I know the potential of digital myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we're all probably discovering what that really is and yeah. what, what that really means, because I don't think, you know, it's not like a, it's a chapter that's ended. So mm. I think that's an ongoing discovery. I think probably from, from that blog post, I don't remember exactly when that was written, but a, a lot of the commentary, I guess, that I've introduced or, or shared has been from the perspective of someone who's joined the industry from outside the industry, yeah. which I think is, and, and at that time particularly, it was sort of observing what L&D was like from from the perspective of someone who's been in around digital for too long, mm. um, thinking, well, why is it like this then? I yeah. think. And accepted as such as well. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. So, uh, and I think perhaps that's, that's changing a little, but I think there is a sense that, that, you know, that there's a way of doing things and certain ideas prevail. And mm. that seems, still seems curious, but certainly seemed curious, very curious when I first arrived. Yeah. And but it certainly seems to me, I'm not shy of uh, giving an opinion or two on this, uh, on this matter, but it seems to me that digital capability seems largely remiss in L&D and therefore a blocker to positively transforming the profession and increasing our own value. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think I think the preoccupation with technology is a real problem for the industry. So I think um, too much of the time for too many people, digital means technology implementation mm. and then carry on with uh, maybe lower cost and a greater efficiency in what you used to do. And that I don't think that's what digital really can mean and should mean. It means mm. it means changing things, really, I think. And, you know, probably to do it properly means changing quite a lot, if not everything. And I think that's the real challenge because people are nervous of that quite rightly. Mm. And, and you've held senior positions at, uh, at, at Ask Jeeves, at, at Ask, at, at the BBC uh, Digital. So you've seen digital already transform and, and perhaps, you know, we're not talking about transforming search engine. It was there at the very, the very genesis of uh, search engine. But what, what perhaps are you, uh, have you experienced that learning and development doesn't quite grasp yet so i think probably some of the one of the most important features i guess of my early experience working in digital was the pace at which you need to to move Mm. to to get things done properly to be successful i guess and successful means you know satisfying your users requirements Mm. of you and and working in the early days in the search engine industry that means very very rapid product changes it means a real clear focus on data Mm. and evidence and a real clear focus on on you know what your users need and I think there is some of that in the learning and development world, but it can be a bit kind of academic and scholastic and not and not not kind of responsive enough as well. So I think those are some of the components that I earned I, I learned early on mm. uh, about that kind of pace and and the gathering evidence as you go and then trying something out and moving on. I, th- I think the L and D world still needs to become much more confident and comfortable in, in working in those ways. 
And, you know, so I suppose there's there's not just about the digital capabilities, but there's something about project management uh, in here as well that I think we're very comfortable in um, developing an idea on uh, finding ways of corralling support for that in various PowerPoint slides and stakeholder meetings, gaining that support, designing or procuring solutions um, having um, a close eye on design, preparing for delivery, all of that stuff can take weeks and months. And once you've got that level of credit in the idea that you've now got support for, it looks a little bit like backing down if you don't then move ahead and bust through and, and serve your agreed solution rather than do what you just mentioned. Yeah, I think that's true. You, you get a lot of, I suppose, constructed and, and elaborate seeking of permission to do things, mm. um, which is, and, you know, organisations tend to work that way. You have to, you know, you need to approve budgets or you're not going to get much done. Mm. But I think what the digital world has shown is that actually, rather than seeking permission, you demonstrate value by showing a prototype or an early stage idea or a beta release or whatever it might be. And you can actually demonstrate, here's something we've made. It's being used in these ways. These are the benefits users are getting from them. Mm. Can we do more of this? And that's, that's part of that, that rationale, that way of working has generated a lot of pace in the digital world rather than that elaborate seeking of permission to start off with. Mm. Uh, and you gather more real data then as well. You're not guessing what your plan might do. You're demonstrating what it has done and perhaps seeking permission then to do more. You, in talking like this, you will scare the living daylights out of a lot of learning and development people. And I know that because I've worked uh, closely with um, uh, learning and development leaders um, who have the will to, to transform to something more agile and iterative, but are much more safe and secure in a waterfall mindset where there is a project plan um, that is moving you towards a fully defined solution. What what you're talking is, as I said, it's 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 very scary. Heresy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's both heresy and scary. But but again, going back to to your experience before. Your, your learning and development days. What, what is that journey that, that people need to, to commit to? Well, I guess, I, I, mean, I suppose that kind of waterfall approach doesn't, it doesn't start revolutions because, you know, it, almost inherently it can't because you need to have everything prepared before you start. Mm. Um, whereas I think what I became comfortable with in, from my very early working days, you know, back in the kind of that, that first uh, internet boom when we all became millionaires, <laughs> still looking for, waiting for that payout, um, was, I suppose, the, 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 a different way of planning and thinking, which is to find find the value and then demonstrate how you can increase it mm. um, from that early evidence rather than, you know, you can't, you can't make a transformational change from your current behaviour. It's just impossible because you'll just carry on your current behaviour. Mm. You have to have new information. The only way you can have that new information is by going to see what works. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't change. You'll just be constrained within, you know, within your current experience so i think i think that's the, that's the hard part that's the really scary part because you kind of have to let go mm. um and for a lot of people particularly in senior positions that means you have to trust something that you've never experienced before mm -hmm. and that can be very uncomfortable yeah right okay so miles you're continuing down the scary path you've used Sorry. the words revolution oh, uh, revolution and uh transformation uh largely to a um a profession that Again, kind of reflecting back in uh, in what your post and digital are hired from a couple of years ago, when you um, you talked about um, uh, walking through the learning technologies, it could have been any exhibition really, um, exhibition hall, um, and seeing so much of the word digital 
but so much of the same it's, it's kind of the same stuff it's almost as if in a in a world that has been transformed and where business has been transformed by digital models uh, and we see that in our, our everyday life we see that learning and development with so much use of the words digital has largely remained the same what what were you seeing then um that 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 had you think that that it's largely the same and why do you think that this is still the case i think there's um one kind of commercial and structural reason which is really important and really easy to overlook is that uh, uh, the, if there's been a digital revolution and you know i think in almost every industry you can imagine mm. there has been or you, or you can sense one's coming um that's been driven by consumer private consumer experience we call it you know like the stuff that we use ourselves has completely changed the way we access information the way we communicate our entertainment uh, uh, access to each other and to information uh, in in the learning and development world this isn't just l and d it's the kind of corporate technology world mm. the customer isn't the user mm. so the customer group the budget holder is probably someone head of head of learning you know, chief information officer, chief learning officer, head of HR, tech, something like that. Uh, the people who are taking the buying decisions within organisations are not necessarily, uh, and I think very infrequently, sadly, representing the interests of their of their end users. They're mm. the customer who's buying a system. And uh, the, I don't think whatever we might classify as the digital revolution hasn't been a revolution of people gaily running around for the last 20 years adopting systems. Mm. It's been having new experiences that kind of add value and change our lives in different ways. So I think there's something about the structure of the way systems are purchased and the, the problems that they solve is missing the mark of what digital can be. And I'd like to move on in a moment to, to talk about what, what digital transformation in learning and development could look like. But what you just mentioned there really resonated with me and my time at Disney. So I joined Disney in 2006 and uh, during my induction, so I joined yeah May 2006, uh, during my induction, um, there was um, the home entertainment division were celebrating because they'd backed Blu-ray over hd dvd um that was the the big war that was the betamax versus vhs war uh, of the mid 2000s uh, little did we know at the time is that the whole thing was almost ob obsolete the the real war being waged was the the vying for uh, consumers attention online which then it, i suppose it uh, it surfaced as streaming live streaming as well as uh, a mass exodus to on-demand channels such as youtube people weren't just engaging in a different way and uh, rejecting the old master servant relationship of the the long established media house is the master you will now consume what we choose but also they were they were battling against new creators uh, so so the the whole um, media and attention market pretty much diversified hugely. So digital transformation for Disney, for example, wasn't just about putting their stuff online, making it more accessible. It, re it was recognising a shift in consumer behaviour and for it to survive and then thrive in the new world, it needed to fundamentally do something different. I mean, that, that for me is what L&D is doing right now, surely. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's it's very frequently stuck in that trap mm. of finding new ways to do what it's always done, 
rather than finding new things to do which mm-hmm. I, and I think that the challenge is that that people are finding that that you know we are as 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 people as punters we're finding all sorts of interesting ways to to learn mm-hmm. improve what we do improve what we know make interesting and useful connections etc and we're just doing that because these these very intuitive tools and technologies are available for us to do that um whereas i think the lnd profession is still stuck in so many ways making the things that it used to make just ma- now making digital versions of them mm-hmm. And finding a new place to put those, almost like another shelf in the store, you know, to put them on rather than changing what changing what we make. And I think that's the challenge. I think it's starting. You know, people are aware of this. Though. Mm. I, don't, I, don't, I think probably five years ago, this wouldn't we wouldn't have been having this conversation. Yeah. We, you know, we would have been sort of wondering if it might be different. But I think we're starting to see the evidence that things have changed uh, in some places. But there's still a lot more, a lot more that needs to change. So I, I've done my digital journey miles in learning and development, and I think that everything that I've pulled in is with a learning and development focus. Yours is clearly uh, broader than that. So, so for me, what what is digital transformation for you? Like, and how? I mean, what, what's your experience in this? Um, what do you see as the key drivers, and and where's this going? Yeah, I, I suppose one of the, one of the things that when I when I first arrived in the learning and development world, I was kind of interested whether the, I think one of the th- the, the sort of defences that people in the industry were, were putting in front of themselves was almost that as soon as you put the learning word into something, it becomes special and different, mm. and therefore it becomes ours, and we can defend it in that, in certain ways. And I think I think that's just less and less true now. There are important components that make for you know a good learning experience. Uh, um, and a useful one um, but I think very often you know the pace is set the challenge for the learning de- and development industry now is the digital pace is set outside the industry not inside the industry yeah. um, you know if the pace was set inside the industry there would have been a great flourishing learning management system market out on the world wide web and funnily enough there hasn't been and, no. I don't, and, and there won't <laughs> be um, so I, I think you know you have to look for the signals of change elsewhere and I think one of the things that's interesting I think I suppose there's there's a guy called Tom Loosemore who has an interesting definition of digital, which I probably won't get quite right, but it's it's this sense of applying the techniques and ways of working of the internet era to meet people's ongoing rising expectations. Mm. And so, and it's quite interesting that that part of the change that that we need to make from digital is how we how we work, how we think, and how we organise mm. uh, to meet ongoing raised expectations that that we all have. Um, so it's less. I think I think there's a preoccupation with technology. Uh, rather than what you can do with the tools that the technology can create and the ways you can apply them, and I think that's the real change. It's mm. about how we, you know, what we plan and how we do it. I think that uh, you make a, an interesting point there. That um, uh, and the way I've um, translated that is that as soon as we start applying a known technology to it, we almost hit our head on the ceiling of our own expectation. So if we uh, are um, saddled with a learning management system and it has a suite of uh, of e-learning in there and the licenses um we have licenses for the next five years we kind of hit ourselves you know at the ceiling is that where i i see that it's certainly in the conversations i've had is learning and development don't have big enough expectations of what can be achieved with digital that perhaps their clients do would you agree with that yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that that uh, I'm going to now misremember another quote from someone whose name I can't remember either. But um, and I'll, I'll I'll send this to you so maybe you can it's, reference it's it. It's Mars. We'll we'll edit this in and then we'll, they'll be fully referenced. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> You'll have to let me remember it first. Um, but I think it's something along the lines of that. You know, the user experience threshold is defined by your last great user experience. Okay. Uh, so and that might be this morning. Or it might be, you know, last year. But the last great thing that happened for you 
is your now your threshold of what a great user experience is. Mm. And that's the level of ambition that we need to have is constantly aiming to offer people the best user experience you can. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges that we have, and, and this kind of happens because, you know, people are busy doing their day jobs, but you, you can end up sort of thinking, well, we can't really do that, can we? We can't. I've worked with many clients and had the experience, you know, working uh, conversations internally as well. You know, when I, when I was on the client side of, yeah, well, that's fine. You know, consumer, great consumer experience. That's a good threshold. But we can't really do that, can we? Mm. So you're kind of already admitting that, that what, what you're doing is, is going to be, you know, is going to be limited by the, whatever, you know, the time investment, the technologies and tools available. I think, I think that, you know, so there's a challenge of ambition there. There's, there's also, um, uh, you make a, make a good point that, that trying to make too many comparisons between, say, a corporate or an enterprise-ready technology and consumer technologies can be a bit of a misnomer, and not because of the way that they function, but what is implied within it. For example, um, Facebook isn't just a, a, um, a user experience that can be created and plugged into um, a, a corporate setting and expected to get the same engagement, although... Facebook at work or workplace now, as, uh, yeah. as it's been said, um, will we'll probably challenge that. But there's something about trust that's required within there as well. And a lot of organisations have low trust. Uh, and that's the way that they're, they're quite happy to operate. So. You mean trust amongst each other? Yeah, in, in that's the organization. right. I think there's a real one. It's one I've been, um, I wrote about it recently, but sort of trying to work out some, some ideas about this level, this idea of a kind of old maturity and new maturity in organisations. And one of the things that you need to kind of, you need the sort of courage and, uh, comfort to have a high trust is always mm. one of those kind of hallmarks of a new maturity that to, to allow people to for example share share and communicate freely and openly across the organization mm. that's a hallmark of a, of a mature digital organization is that it can work very quickly horizontally and not just vertically mm. uh, and i think that yeah there's that you, you do need to have that trust otherwise you end up putting permission burdens on on, on creating groups you put permission burdens on what you are and aren't allowed to share and say or you know you have very heavily moderated forums mm -hmm. and and people spot it and smell it because it's not like the whatsapp whatsapp you use on the bus yeah. on the way home and again that whatsapp group it, you know arguably in that instance is that's the threshold of a good user experience that's how that's my collaboration metaphor it's mm -hmm. my whatsapp group for my you know cricket club or my book group or whatever mm -hmm. and if your corporate experience isn't like that then inherently it's not as good and you don't i don't think we as individuals just excuse it because well it's work isn't it no it's just it's it's therefore frustrating you know at some level and i think that's a challenge we have to do have have to have that kind of trust somehow have to try and instill that trust yeah mm. but learning and development aren't the first function to to go through this i think that uh, that uh, marketing springs to mind um again it was only the end of the last decade that there was marketing function and then a digital marketing arm to it certainly uh, at disney and then in a in a relatively small amount of uh, a number of years it's now one function and probably the digital aspect leads because of the the opportunity for reach uh, and personalization um but of course those skills and abilities don't come in to a profession overnight what do you see how ready are you seeing l and d in having and being able to operate with digital capabilities i think i think you're starting to see some signals of it now i guess you know i i think you know there's some some interesting new capability frameworks that are a bit more uh, probably a bit more subtle and you can see them taking cues and clues from the outside world you mm. know and i think the cues we need to take 
are usually those from consumer consumer facing industries or consumer facing disciplines where you know they've they've kind of the, the revolution hit them hardest and fastest there you know, pr um you know marketing sales yeah. um have been have been really you know they've had to respond much more quickly and i think actually you know there's signals of where the industry should go um particularly from the marketing function the use of data targeting responsiveness uh you know segmentation etc mm-hmm. um you know the one of the th- one of the reasons that facebook is such a scary place for advertising is because it's really really persuasive yeah and you can target very very in a very sophisticated way um so i, th- I think there's a lot of signals of what what the industry could and should be doing there um, so I, th- I think that there's an opportunity to start to look there. I think there's one there's one really important role that I don't see much yet in the learning and development world. And I've been banging on about this for a while. And maybe I either need to bang harder or just stop, maybe, and, uh, and move on. But uh, one of the one of the most interesting and powerful roles that I saw from this is probably from 20 years ago, working at Ask and then working in digital teams uh, ongoing from there is the role of the product manager. Yeah. And the product manager is almost like the orchestrator of the experience, uh, not just for the user. So a product manager is someone who understands users and what users need, your mm-hmm. audience, your consumer, you know, your customer, however you articulate it. They understand the business really well, so they know how the business works, what the business model is, what kind of decisions need to be made, what's a, what's a priority versus a whim, uh, for example. And they understand technology well, mm-hmm. so they can work with developers, they can work with engineers, and they can, they can guide what, what engineers and developers will do. And having those three those three components of, of kind of business technology and user, and being able to craft the user experience uh, you know, on, on behalf of the users within the business context, that's a really really important discipline and a really important role. And I don't think we see enough of that in the learning and development world now. Actually, we see you know heads of technology, we see learning developers, etc., learning experience designers. But that that central product management function, that, that product brain, I think is. Is one that we should we should look to find and bring in. I think yeah, you've 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 made a, an incredible point there that that I wonder if we're still operating the old model of learning and development and refreshing that. So so the old model was in the uh, analysis of a need of the design of a solution, the delivery of a solution, the assessment whether it worked, and then the evaluation of kind of justifying the action overall. It's much more geared towards the delivery. Uh, and as we spoke about earlier, when buying an LMS or a, a learning man- another learning tool, in making that look pretty, in in filling that full of content, you then deliver it as done. And I I wonder whether um, we recognise that the relationship with our client may have changed, uh, and whether we are ready to to give up a little of the control that it seems in delivering a ready solution rather than necessarily. Um, perhaps wondering whether we know what we need to do at all, which product managers and especially in software development need to, to have that. I don't know. Does that, that yeah, make sense? I, I think what, what product managers are really good at, good product managers are really good at, and you know, good developers are smart to working in this way is, is making those small incremental changes and finding out what works. Mm. That it's not only that that says that, that, you know, that's a valuable place to be, but it starts to help you understand which problems are worth solving and which aren't. Yeah. What's a real problem. You know, if you, if you try and solve the organization's problem by installing an LMS or something, you know, for example, and actually people's, you know, usage or, or application of skills or however you define it doesn't change that much, then you're probably in the wrong place. Mm. Um, so if you have that product management approach and, and that sort of evidence-based iteration and decision-making, it will help you focus on the problems that are most valuable or most worth solving, I think. I think you've touched on an, uh, another point there that, that 
the product manager needs to rely on data. And I think that that's probably another area, but not just in learning and development that's largely absent, but data scientist is one of the most value, yeah. valuable skills or, or, or um, uh, job roles um, needed in the world today. So when, when does L&D come into the pecking order yeah, when it comes to a data scientist? It's interesting. And I, I wonder, this is something I wonder, we, you know, because it's back to that point about putting the learning word in and then making yeah. it ours. I, saw, I think one of the challenges, and it's, this is difficult because I think finding other data sets can be hard in an organisation. You know, they're, they're messy places full of humans who you know, <laughs> hide stuff deliberately or, or inadvertently. Mm. Um, so I, I think one of the challenges that we probably need to overcome is, is looking only at learning data. Yeah. So if you want to look at learning data and be a learning data analyst or learning data scientist or ha however you define it, that's going to be an important part of the experience, definitely. Um, and you know that'll help you solve some problems but we're not we're not interested you know we're not interested in, in in learners necessarily we're interested in helping people you know get stuff done yeah helping people find things helping people solve their problems helping people perform better however you define these things so one of the challenges i think for the industry is to look beyond learning data and be smart about other data sets as well about yeah. you know digital data sources about business data about hr and people data we need to be smart about all of the data landscape that will help us understand what the problems are and how well we're solving them. I and think, I, and I think there's. I'm going to carry on. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm more passionate about this than I thought, so I'm going to carry on. I think that there's also. I think there's something about being smart about different data data types. Mm -hmm. So we need you know, oceans of data is great, but you need to tame that. You need to you know be able to sort of fish those oceans uh, um, properly. But the softer data of you know user testing, interviews, focus groups. Uh, understanding you know how to interpret people's behavior in user testing mm -hmm. uh, those are really important data sources as well they're kind of different kind of data because it's not necessarily binary data not quantitative but those qualitative data sources are really really important as well i think it's important to um and you were right to carry on um, may i say um i think it's important to recognize the human elements of this as well because it can start with a hypothesis still but we need to recognize that there might just be a hypothesis and not a fully defined need which a lot of the time things may appear to be a fully defined need in learning and development world. Uh, maybe I'm being oh, a bit, I'm overgeneralizing there. But, um, but if, for example, in a needs analysis, it's recognized that there is a common time management need across an organization, those needs are then uh, aggregated to, to a level and a standardized um, solution is developed. Whereas if, you just saw this as a hypothesis that there seems to be a time management problem then you can look for the data then to back up whether to what extent your hypothesis is right where this might be right and where this might be different so to see what going back to your your point what is a real problem that needs to be solving and to what extent can we define this problem before we actually roll up our sleeves and start developing potential solutions and if we find out before you start solving it yeah, yeah that's find right. out what you need to do i get i think you know it, it, one of the one of the interesting things is that is that digital transformation is a very you know it's a, it's a huge uh, it's a hugely overworked uh, overused phrase but there's a general recognition behind that that everything's changing mm. and everything's changing quite quickly and that's nerve-wracking so if that's the case then beware of certainty beware of people who sound like they're certain about what what should be done you mm. know you need to you need to figure it out and you need to find out in, in perhaps in smaller ways, as you're saying, unpack things, don't just standardize everything mm. so that you can then solve all of what you apparently know uh, as, as the problems in one go. So I think it's important you find out what looks like perhaps, I suppose, what you might do in, you know, in, in the 
agile sense of kind of what do you put into your early sprints well probably the things that are most important to most people would be a good place to start Mm -hmm. but that won't be everything that's important to everybody because then you'd be have a sprint that's four years long yeah so you know you start with what you know or or not only what you know but what you believe to be the most valuable and then move from there now again um I, i might call this episode the scary um uh, episode because doesn't we, feel scary. It <laughs> doesn't come out. No, no, no it's not scary fine. for us. But um, but as a as a listener who is interested because they recognise that they have a way to go on their own digital development journey. We've already talked about the importance of data and the the value now um, that is being placed on data scientists. I think it's important to recognise you don't have to be a data scientist to start becoming familiar with data or forming hypotheses and uh, and uh, collecting the data that uh, that may inform um, or challenge your hypothesis we've talked about product managers which again is a discipline but you know it's something that could be introduced uh, into learning and development into a function with some best intentions as uh, as that might be built up but what what else are you seeing as digital roles or capabilities and i know you you know you've had a um some some social media chat and involvement in in this yeah. as well but what are you seeing as the 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 roles and the capabilities required in L&D for digital so i think that you know just the product manager role i think is the one that that i would 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 really you know push i think there's something around this sort of the the consultant role as well whether it's performance consultant or solution consultant um one of the challenges is when you use the consultant word everything can sound a bit like you know a bit sort of flat and 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 uh, um, not not really as substantial as it could be. But some, there's something about that understanding and analysis of what's what's an important area to focus on, and and to understand, describe describe a problem, and then help help an organisation or a team or an individual through towards a solution. So I think that feels like a really that's a really really important role as well. Mm. I think one of the things that there's a, there's a few kind of production roles I think, or what I would call production roles. Then you know, whilst not everything's about making stuff. If you are going to make stuff, then I think there's something around editorial thinking that feels like a really important area. And I think there's something around digital storytelling that feels like a really, really important new area to look at. And maybe there's signals of you know, where the digital uh, journalism industry has been forced to go. You know, the digital journalism has been, or journalism has been, uh, been, you know, sort of in, in a state of panic for at least a decade mm-hmm. because of you know, the complete undermining of all its established. Uh, uh, roles and rules. So I think that the, the news industries had to do some really interesting things about how to create stories, how to respond to Twitter. You know, when it first arrived, you can't do a proper news story in 140 characters. Well, now, which self-respecting news organisation isn't obsessed with Twitter? Mm. They're all all over Twitter all the time. Probably more Twitter postings are from journalists than any other single uh, role because it's such a powerful medium for you know for that role. So I think they've been really really smart at, uh, and had to respond to new ways of telling stories, new ways of presenting them, short video, vertical video, you know, was there had to be landscape now, actually, if it's on Instagram or, or you know, on Snapchat and it's vertical, it has to be. Mm. So they've, they've had to respond. So I think there's some interesting things that the news industry can tell us about which stories to focus on and how to try and tell them or where to put them. And that last point about where to put them, I think, is one of the most important things that, that I would try and ask L&D folk to focus on is the sense of uh, uh, it's not just about marketing it's also about distribution yeah and distributing your content of finding the place to put it and maybe changing its shape and size so that you can put it in the most relevant place at the right time yeah 
one of the challenges for L&D folks is that will often take your content out of your own systems, out of, you know, it takes it out of your front gate, mm. but you have to go out there and find your audience. So that's about, it might be as simple as blogging on the intranet, or it might be something much more sophisticated about, uh, you know, sort of context sensitive targeting onto Slack, you know, Slack groups or something, which is, you know, more kind of cutting edge and sophisticated, but that sense of distributing what you make or, or signaling what you make to the right place at the right time as well. That I think distribution is a really important skill and process that, that the industry is not really responding to very well yet. I don't think it's starting to happen now. Yeah. I think you, again, you make some, uh, some, some great points there. Uh, and what I'm taking from that is that um, try to be where people are and where they need and when they need the guidance and support going back to to what we were discussing earlier on and maybe the learning word is getting in the way because as we try as we use technology to try to uh, enhance people's ability to learn from the stuff that we create we need to flip this to understand why people will want to learn in the first place and what it comes down to a lot of the time is trying to do the job better and faster and improve their prospects so it's almost if you cut out the middle term, disintermediate between us and the word learning and recognise what people are trying to do and in service of their micro goals in terms of uh, their longer term or midterm goals, help them by giving them the stuff they need, the information, know-how and insights when they need it, not when we can deliver it. And again, I think that's a, yeah. a big challenge. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's kind of doing things in reverse. Um, you know, use use the phrase if if they build it, you know, if, if you build it, they will come. You know, mm -hmm. so no, if you build it, they might, but they probably won't. Probably won't. But you yeah. can go where they already are, and that's that's what you have to do. You know, it's uh, you know the attention economy is is called that for good reasons because we are now you know having to compete in a very very chaotic and noisy environment for people's attention. Yeah. So you know, and one of the ways you need to do that is by going to where their attention already is. Mm. Now, I've seen it in lots of organisations where you, you'll have. Um, most large LMS vendors will have a, a partner product, which is a, a social tool of some sort, you know, a social learning platform. I don't even I'd say those words out loud. I don't really know <laughs> what they mean. Um, and are struggling saying, well, how can we get people to engage on our platform? I mean, they're, all, they're already on, you know, WhatsApp, Yammer, Facebook, Workplace, you know. Uh, and I think, I just think we just don't go where they are. You have to go where they are. Yeah. You can't persuade people to come and spend their time and attention where you would prefer them to. Yeah. That's really hard, I think. That's really hard. That's a really hard one to, to, to confront, but I think it's really important mm. to try I, and break that mould. I think it's also important to not compete with Google. I would think that, uh, that if you I got... I tried that for seven years, <laughs> competing with Google in search. Yeah, it didn't go well. I would, I would yeah, I think it's very... If competing with Google in anything is ill-advised, I'd mm. say, yeah. Again, going back to trying to solve the problems of your internal clients, of your stakeholders, the people that work in your organisation, whatever terminology we wish to use, um, don't try to just uh, gain their attention when they've got the odd five or ten minutes down, Google wins. Don't try to, to um, compete with Google on generic content. Google wins. People uh, recognise that Google is uh, predictable and re reliable enough for them to invest their time when it comes to that. But what Google have no idea about and have um, no plans to get involved in it are how to get the right stuff done in your organisation in relation to what people are trying to achieve and, and what they're struggling with. I always say unfamiliar situations and challenges that people face the first time they face them in your organization trying to get the right stuff done that's fair game yeah if you can yeah. if you can get get to people when they need that stuff in the tools that they already use 
Yeah. It's had a greater chance of winning. Yeah, you will. Yeah, like yeah, I said, yeah, competing with Google is, is a fool's game. <laughs> but then I suppose, in a way, maybe what you're saying is, you know, is find places where you almost don't need to compete. Yeah. Because, you know, in your knowledge of your organisation, your colleagues or your partners, your stakeholders, however you describe the people you're working, you know, for and with, um, you're going to know them better than any system can. Mm. Um, and again, it's, you know, this digital value is about human value. It's not some sort of magic technology. It's about working with people to solve problems. And yeah, you'll have that insight that no one else can offer. Mm. And I think what's also important to recognise, and we're coming to the end of the uh, the podcast, that this isn't a digital versus face-to-face thing. When Again, going back to my Disney days, it was very clear from the outset when, when we were talking about um, digital um, products and services that there was always talking about a merger, uh, uh, the, 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 the mix of physical and digital. And that's what I'm seeing in learning and development. But there is an over-reliance on classroom and face-to-face interventions that are too few and infrequent to develop people at the pace and continually as required. And a lot of technology is used with e-learning and, um, uh, and other products to just try to increase the value of a face-to-face experience Give them some e-learning before, get them on the course, give them some e-learning or, or, or access to some resources afterwards so that that can help to, to refresh them. So it's all about that event. Yeah. But there's so much more that digital can do that enhances the face-to-face. What's your position on the, the digital and face-to-face? I, get, I mean, I think we have, we're still stuck in, a, in, a, in that argument about substitution, that digital is going to or threatens to or should substitute everything else, you know, anything that's analogue or... or uh, or face to face. I think I think it's just it's a, as you said. It's a it's a mistake. You know, it's, it's it's not it's not about one or the other. It's about how how you use whatever tools you have available to to solve those problems as well as possible. Some of that might be people. You know, and inevitably will be people coming together in whatever guise. It could be a phone call. You know, it's, that's still a pretty neat technology. Mm. Just two people on the phone talking about something that can be really really helpful. It could be a meeting. It could be you know it could be a, a performance, an event of some sort. All of those things are really really important. There's no one solution to everything, mm. uh, but there is a real challenge of, of substitution. I think, or people expecting it. I think. I think people are, you know, starting to become a little bit more mature about that. But there's still a challenge, and I guess it's partly because it's seen as, you know, digital seen as a threat. Mm. Um, so you sort of defend defend against substitution if you feel threatened, and that pattern of behaviour still does exist. Yeah. And there was a promise in the uh, the late. Like 1990s, where where e-learning was going to replace the classroom, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it did so well. No, it didn't. And that now, I think now you'd probably say, you know, you don't want to replace the classroom. What you want to replace is e-learning. Yeah, I think oddly enough, you know, that kind of click next module based e-learning is is probably the thing that people would like to change more than that to classroom. The classroom almost now has all the, all the human event has a greater value mm. um, than it used to because of what it's surrounded by. Whereas the e-learning that was then going to replace it is probably now seen as as a kind of traditional problem that needs to be overcome. Human yeah. event. I like. Yeah. I much prefer that term to as uh, classroom. Who would have thought that after talks of uh, revolutions of of transforming with digital that we'd end with a human event? That's a good place to end. <laughs> I reckon <laughs> it yeah. is. So, Miles, if people want to follow your work or get in touch, how can they do so? I guess uh, obvious places would be Twitter, at Miles Run, M-Y-L-E-S-R-U-N on Twitter, Miles Runham on LinkedIn, and I do blog as often as I can at milesrunham.com as well. Those are probably the best places to seek me out first. Wonderful. Uh, Miles, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. I think we could have carried on for quite some time, and so hopefully um, you can come back on the pod and we can continue the yeah, conversation. Yeah, happy to continue, definitely. Thank you. Thanks, Miles. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Now, digital is inevitable and is going to become even more prevalent. 
this isn't a train we can miss or just let others drive. It's important we understand and expect more from digital. I hope this helped you on your own personal digital journey. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.